Hello, everyone. This is now officially our second recording of the What Rules podcast, formerly known as Color Forward. As you've heard, if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, we were called Color Forward. It was all about highlighting multicultural women who have broken through cultural barriers and mastered the art of resilience. And what we found in this time is that a lot of women who have done this have gotten ahead and advanced in their career by breaking the rules. Today, having this rule-breaking conversation with me is my fabulous co-host and talent management executive, Rosa Santos, and diversity marketer, Chantel Thomas. This episode is really one of my favorite topics, which is friendship. And we've talked about friendship in general in past episodes, but this is really about friendship in the workplace and befriending the unlikely people who have been othered. So I'm really excited to dive deep into what the heck does that even mean? And how is that a rule that we're breaking? What about in the context of us, right? We, as I think as multicultural women and women of color, there's so much that we need to be paying attention to, right? And especially at the workplace, if we want to advance our growth and really maybe increase our professional equity, why do you think that's important that we befriend the prickly? I love that. I'm going to use that now. I'm going to be befriending Uh-oh. the prickly. I think you can also say I'm having a prickly day, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit prickly. prickly. It is prickly, yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, we got a word of the day, our hashtag. Prickly. Um, I, I do think in the context of multicultural women, that word ally is thrown around a lot um, these days. And the word friendship maybe goes by the wayside, but how about just being friendly with people um, who don't look like you. I, I used to challenge myself all the time when I travel to befriend or reach out to people who don't look like me because, you know, like you learn the most from the differences. And so the differences really unite some similarities if you give it a chance. My thought is that the folks that are kind of prickly, folks who naturally don't gravitate to embracing everyone or maybe being kind is not their first nature. I generally find such good friendships and people like that because everyone else is staying away from them. And right. so, so wait a second, you became my them. friend and was I <laughs> No, should I, think, no. Should I rethink You're this? not prickly. You're not prickly. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> I like folks who are kind and embracing as well. So not just prickly, but I, I do find value in just trying to really reach out and find the beauty and the humanity in everybody. I have to say that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I am not that nice. Like, at least I'm this. <laughs> Rosa, I have this saying to all my friends is like, know thyself, no matter how high you get in the hierarchy and the office culture. We all have strengths and weaknesses. 
But let me ask you this, and, and this is within the context of a recent conversation that I had around this very topic, right? Uh, and especially around the topic of advancing, you know, the racial equality journey as a whole within organizations. And I mean, to what extent do you think it is our responsibility to, in fact, reach out to the prickly, to that one that our, our identity may represent some kind of fear or uncomfort or a comfortness, right? Just not feeling okay being around you. Um, Rosa, I have to tell you that I am the person in the room who is always going to see the rosy side of things. And so I always have to cover that because uh, when people sometimes hear me um, speak about it, they only think that I um, experience the good things, uh, right? So not necessarily experiencing the negative parts of the, um, the differences. And so I do. I experience the negative parts. I see when the person is um, sizing me up um, automatically. I, yep. I see when they are actually talking down to me or dumbing things down because they naturally assume that I might not be as competent because unfortunately I'm a black woman and there is within office politics and the experience here in the United States, a lot of negative stereotypes associated with being a black woman, um, the angry black woman, the one that is just waiting to tell you off um, or things like that. Those are not a part of my dominant experience. That's not what I present out in the world and that's not who I am. And so a lot of times I actually see people view me through the lens of those stereotypes. I see it. I actually see it happening. I see it. Um, people interacting with me in um, trepidation, thinking that I'm going to be angry or um, or cut them off or be unkind. And I commonly have found myself because of that, always taking the first step towards them. I'm generally the first one to apologize. I'm generally the first one to open the door. And so that's the kind of mechanism that I have found so that people can begin to take the filters off and seeing me through those stereotypes and just start to see me for who I am. Um, and then it just kind of breaks down those walls. But I, I actually take the first step. I, I am always very candid. I'm the person in the room that will tell you my motives. And so, um, so if I just go into meetings all the time and tell you, look, I'm trying to advance this cause for myself and for my team. Uh, and so it's just something about being vulnerable, um, being open that I have found that has helped me the most. And it is within the context of knowing that I walk in the door or, you know, I get on the video with those kind of filters that people are seeing me through. And I think that that is the heaviest burden that all of us have um, that are from um, underrepresented groups, because we have to be responsible for a lot of times dispelling the myth because we don't get the benefit of the doubt. Whatever the news said last night, if I look like what the people that were on the news, whatever they said last night, yeah. then that's probably what I'm going to be if you've not had an opportunity to meet me. 
And so I do like I consciously I consciously do this taking the first step. You know, you you just don't know what it is to walk in these shoes every single day, right? Every single moment. And the fact that you don't have to think about reaching out, opening the door, talking, you know, softly or swiftly, right? So people like, oh, you know, when you wake up in the morning, it's not you're not putting your clothes on and putting makeup on. And there's a whole lot of other things that you actually have to do and really be planful about it. So that's why... Being yourself is something that sometimes risky. What I would say, sometimes a lot of the times is rather risky, right? Can I just tell you that I bring my full self everywhere I go? I'm not checking anything at the door. So when I say that, it's just, it's really who I am. I don't feel that I'm doing anything extra. Or my husband likes to say, she plays the long game. And so... (laughs) So (laughs) I'm not always thinking about just this moment. I am really thinking about the fact that I have to build with you. This is who I am. I'm doing the same thing, being the same way in my personal life. I don't feel burdened by acting in that manner. I told you I'm one of those people who are probably a little bit more sunnier than others. Um, so, Rosa, you got to forget, you know, like th- this just is the way it is. <laughs> Rosa's like, what is this? What is this happiness? <laughs> I look at the upside. I was just thinking we should do an episode on happiness. Maybe that's what I need. <laughs> no, but this is great. And in fact, I was thinking that's a great way of putting it, right? Like in terms of, and I'm, I'm also, I have to say one of the things I'm all about being positive. Planful. Is that the better word for long game? Oh, I like long game. I love it. I am going to use it because I think it's like the long game, right? And it is ever so important that we, as part of that long game, is is being clear as to what you're heading towards, mm-hmm. like what your beacon is and what you're working towards. And by playing that long game, then, you know, probably you are willing to take on certain things that, or take certain things in a way that you will make them personal, right? And probably yeah. you are, you know, freer of a lot of baggage that maybe sometimes we tend to wrap our you know, we collect all of these things on top and to your point, it burdens us uh, to do things yeah. or to show up in ways that is not necessarily aligned with that long game. So I love exactly how you're positioning it. I totally play the long game. Um, when I started as an entrepreneur, that's what I realized. My business is relationship-based. And as Chantel was talking, I was thinking about how happy people get the brunt of the jokes or of the um, misrepresentation all the time. I was in this group. I was talking to some people about how happy I was and how I have all this joy. And I and I wish I could relate to these people with these big struggles. And this person said, Alisa, what I hear in your story is resilience. And because of that resilience, you have joy. And so it doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to you or you don't make mistakes or anything. It's nice to be born with a positive disposition, which is probably like me and Chantel. 
<laughs> but, <laughs> but because of that, you do learn how to look at the bright side when those things happen. And sometimes because of that bright side, the issues dissipate and they lessen. And so when you have people at work who are positive and happy, other people might get annoyed, but it doesn't mean that nothing bad happens to them. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, so <come> true. <laughs> I just think it's fascinating that we're talking about befriending the unlikely person at work, how that's a rule that we're breaking. You know, I mean, if if anyone went to high school, they know there's the mean girls and there's the nerds and there's the outcasts. There's all these groups. Unfortunately, it doesn't go away in the workplace. It does. And it amplifies because they have money now. <laughs> Oh, my God. Chantel, you were talking about, I I don't remember the story. Refresh my memory. Some woman who wore like the weird jeans or the same jeans every week. (laughs) She did. She worked in a call center in one of the offices that I worked in. And she totally wore the same jeans every single day. And sometimes she did switch her shirt up. But like, yeah, (laughs) people (laughs) sometimes. And I thought that she was really bold to do that. (laughs) I, I actually learned so much from her because I could tell that she wasn't, I would say, burdened by the whole idea of changing an outfit every day. And she only thought about the things that were going to advance the amount of calls that she could make in a day. And I just began to value her for that. Like whatever it is that people are projecting, you can actually just begin to see them for what it is that they're actually projecting as a part of the big parts of themselves. And for her, she projected that the most important thing was getting to the phone And I was so moved by her. After a while, you start to forget that these are the same pants that she had on and hopefully she washed them over the weekend. (laughs) You start to forget forget that kind of stuff. And you actually begin to see people through the lens with which the thing that they are projecting or amplifying um, about themselves. And I hope that people do the same thing for me. I'm big on the space for grace because I want it. I want you to give me grace if I didn't get here on time or if I text you and be like, oh, my goodness, I forgot all about this. Like, I want some grace. And so me and I Rosa, to, we know about that. <laughs> yeah, some grace. And so I try to move through life with like just the space for grace. And I think in that space. In the space for grace, you get to see the valuable things about people about showing up as your full self mm-hmm. yeah exactly so it's are we doing that you know what are the pants that we're wearing <laughs> to show up in the way that we want to show up without caring right mm-hmm. what others may think about that path that we've chosen or that goal right that we've identified for uh for ourselves that that is something to ponder truly about and reflect on And I think the other is what I call 
suspend judgment. Oh, yes. Are we challenging ourselves to suspend judgment? And it goes both ways, right? It goes both ways. We've spent, Alisa, Mirari, and I have spent now over a year talking about how there are all these rules around us that sometimes they are imposed upon us that we also have to fulfill in order to really play the game and play the long game, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and on the other hand, I feel a little bit of, after a year and a half of having these conversations, I feel a little bit to what extent am I am the one suspended judgment, you know, when I'm trying to outsmart this game, the game that may have been imposed on me, right? And because there's a lot of that judgment that I am also imposing on others on how I think they're seeing me, right? Yeah. So I love this concept of how do we create that space for grace around us? Because I, I want that to be applicable to me, but it needs to start with yourself. Suspending judgment for what I think others might think of me is like a bomb drop for me because... It is so easy to assume what other people are going to think. Sometimes I assume that people can't handle me because I'm too much or I'm too this, too that. And so I will minimize myself as a result and not give them the full story. I mean, that's bad on me, but that's also me judging them. And I'm not giving them the opportunity to see all of me. I'm making that decision for them instead of giving them the space for grace and allowing them, if they have a bias, that's not on me. But I don't need to take that responsibility of making the decision of what they're going to think of me. Let's just all be candid. Like in in the workspace, so much is riding on it, like your livelihood, for instance. Uh, so it, it's um, like the your behaviors and the things that you do and how you show up and your ability to collaborate with people and get the work done. It's so important. It's so big. That is paramount, I think, first. And then like for, you know, like when you're a, a woman or um, a man from an underrepresented group, It magnifies it so much because now you know, but you still have to act judiciously because of the outcomes you're trying to achieve. I'm thinking like, oh, how how can this be fresh? It's actually fresh and refreshing. (laughs) It, It really is. It really is fresh and refreshing, even though we're not Spring chickens, as, as somebody <laughs> I used to know, they used to say. Um, it is, it is refreshing because I think it's just being, it, it's not only being who you are, but I think it's allowing others to, to hear this perspective, right? To hear, to hear what goes through our mind at the end of the day, to even consider the possibility of creating space for grace, <laughs> uh, uh, right? And, and, I, and don't get me wrong, I don't think it's unique to us or unique to people of color in general. I think there is a lot of those barriers, I think, and a lot of them are self-imposed. I think, Alisa, what you're saying is it really a self-imposed barrier, right? Uh, that you create up here in your head as to and those what barriers you might be from previous experience. Exactly. You know, it might not be just me imagining something. It might be because people have constantly told me something, yeah. and 
that's where that resilience comes back. Like, even though you think I'm this and everybody's told me I'm this, I'm not. And I'm going to keep showing up and remind you. And if you're a new person, I'm going to give you that grace to accept all of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think perfectly. That's exactly yeah. right. And Chantel, Um, you've been in IT and marketing for over 20 years now. I'm assuming, I'm going to assume about you. (laughs) Let me just (laughs) do what I just said I don't want to (laughs) do. Maybe we should do healthy assumptions. (laughs) I'm going to healthily assume (laughs) that uh, you've been... one of the few women in your workplace just because of the nature of IT. And is is that right? Maybe I can ask. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> actually, company wide, that's true, um, because in, in IT, it's, you know, the dominant groups are um, males. But I found myself in the space within IT where it's predominantly female. And so I've been in marketing over 20 years um, and marketing is known to be probably about 67 percent women. So it's a dominant space. So mostly I look to my left and I look to my right and I I see people who look like me. But now I'm in HR and guess what? I jumped from one dominant culture, female represented space to HR now because I work in the diversity and inclusion office. And I'm, you know, still right. Um, my team is made up of mostly women. So and, and, and it's really kind of interesting. But um, marketing is 67 percent women. And um, so is HR. The exact numbers. How strange is that? Where the difference is, is that I'm generally the only black woman. I could always really clearly see that through this identity, right? I'm a lot different. I have a lot of different, a different culture from a lot of the women I share the space with. That has never been lost on me. I like being able to come into those spaces where I am only, and like I said, find that bridge. Because a lot of times as you get closer to people, you might come to learn, as I have in lots of settings, that I was really the black person that they had um, been closest to in their lives, like me in the workspace. Like this is my first time ever befriending or um, really getting to know a black person. I can't tell you across my career how often that's been said to me. So um, I definitely, um, you know how they they call it the, have you heard, like the double minority. I, yeah, definitely a double minority in the spaces that I inhabit all all the time. And so I'm, I'm comfortable there. I'm comfortable there because I'm comfortable with who I am. And so it, it's fine for me to show up in those spaces. But I, I do do a, a lot of mental leaps in order to challenge myself to do things in those spaces. Like um, I used to travel all the time and I used to challenge myself to always talk to a white male. Like just go and introduce myself because I know that given the fact that I am a double minority, I wanna meet other people, but I wanna give them the opportunity to see um, if they see another black woman, maybe across the table from them interviewing for the job that they can put a little humanity on it. 
I love that it's kind of like your ministry. <laughs> it is. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to help all the black women who are interviewing. I'm going to meet this white man, show him how awesome I am. And that way he'll know. Talk about befriending the unlikely person that's That's it. That's what I was about to say. It is befriending the unlikely person or the person um, that people are generally surprised that you're friends with. Like speaking of high school, right? um, My friends used to tell me, you say to me, like Chantel will be friends with a person that nobody likes. They'll like her. And that's very, it's always been very true. Like I am friends with the people that no one else likes and they don't like anybody else. But somehow I just, I don't know. I see the heart of of people. Like I know, like we all just want to be seen. Have you guys ever heard? Okay, so Oprah Winfrey is my favorite person outside of my family. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say that. Outside of my family members, Oprah Winfrey is my favorite person. And um, and so she because she's listening. Yeah. <laughs> she listens, obviously. She listens. Obviously, she, she does. Listens. I know she, she listens on Sundays when she's sitting under her tree. Um, but she is my favorite person. But when she ended her show, someone asked her what did she think was the reason for all of her success over the years. And um, she says that she believes it's her ability to see people, like just to see them, like um, like giving them the, the visual and the engagement that say that I see you. It's something when you um, look intently at somebody or like I do that with my kids all the time, like I look in their eyes and so that they can see that, oh. I just think the world of you. And so like, I I think that that's the same thing with people you interact with. You've got to let them know that they are being seen and heard. And that's the thing that opens up the the kind of breaks the the barriers down. I love that. I'm going to put Rosa on the hot seat. (laughs) (laughs) This is kind of like a coaching question. Okay, bring it on, bring it on. (laughs) From our discussion today, what's been the biggest personal insight you've had for yourself? Well, I, in all transparency, I was thinking as I was listening to you, Chantal, right now, I said like, I don't think I look at my son that way. <laughs> I was thinking about how do I look at people too. <laughs> like, oh my God, when he's, he's already texted me about. <laughs> so maybe that's one that I need just to, okay. <laughs> Here's my son, <laughs> even though he's a teenager, and it's hot sometimes. So, and he it. probably That's... smells. <laughs> exactly, I exactly. Sons. I know they, they smell. <laughs> so, so there you go. But I, for me, is is again. I think sometimes grace and suspending judgment and whatnot. Even though I think I'm good at it, I think you have to practice. I referenced my mother quite a bit and I saw her recently and if I can think of anyone who's resilient is her and as I was coming back home this is what is reminding me right that to get to a point where my mother is at that she doesn't take anything personally she goes through life as the most optimistic person at age 80 almost 81 
And even though none of her daughters are close and she's by herself, I've never seen anyone, you know, happier and irradiating a sense of energy after this year and a half of being through the pandemic and all kinds of other issues that she's had. And and then listening to you, this sense of what quiets and fills your soul is exactly what you're saying, Chantel, that I think I should practice more is giving people the benefit of the doubt. And I think the world would be such a much better place if we gave each other that benefit of the doubt. And I command you for for having that ministry of, of reaching out to others uh, so y- you can be their reference for whenever they find somebody who might potentially look like you and have a different perspective and opinion. And I think I'll probably do more of that myself. So thank you. Oh, that's so great, Rosa. Yeah. <laughs> and Chantel, I'm going to get coachy on you too. What new insight do you have about yourself from this conversation? This is not even a coaching conversation, but I'm in that mode today. (laughs) You are. (laughs) Um, I think that I've got to, um, to somehow be able to, um, I think I always try to just show up fully in the, whenever, wherever I am. But always, I I think the new thing for me is not only just to show up and give people the space, um, you know, the grace for space, but then also being able to turn the temperature down a little bit. I know this because I do people, (laughs) I am really um, sunny. I guess. And I, I, when I say that I, um, in contrast, I think I actually try to work at not always being so sunny that people forget also that I'm not a kind of dumb little girl, because that's also a thing. And so just hearing myself and listening to you all and watching myself um, on video, I'm actually one of the things that I'm taking away is how do I balance, you know, like just having the positive disposition and being extra sunny and extra happy and stuff like that in a way that I can kind of still convey it, but also be able to bring in the line of seriousness and I'm about business too. And so just only because I'm watching myself with you all and and really paying attention only because we're talking about happiness, which I do this every day. I'm on Zoom calls all the time, but it's just, I think it was just the opportunity to talk about happiness that made the meter go up and it actually be that topic brought it to the frontal lobe And now I'm evaluating myself against that, right? So being happy, but finding somehow a little bit of the balance so that people know that I I get the job done too. I think that's being strategic. You have this amazing gift of joy 
but you can be strategic about it and use it in the right place in the right way. And that's when we, especially like as women of color, multicultural women, that's what we want to get to, right? What am I really good at? Where am I inspired? And then how do I navigate all of that? And I think that what I'm hearing from the both of you is this like idea of self-evaluation. Do I need to give space for grace for that other person? Do I need to give it for myself? If I'm really seeing that person fully as them, how do I need to respond in this moment so that they feel seen and that I am visible? Want to know how breaking the rules can help you level up your career game? Search What Rules Podcast on any social media platform and join our members only group on LinkedIn, where we discuss rule breaking strategies for multicultural women. What Rules is a production of Color Forward. The show is produced by me, Elisa Monjadas, with editing and fabulous sound design by Mathar Delion. Visit colorforward.com for more stories, events, and of course, all the episodes of What Rules. Thank you.